Lord, we thank you for your word that is holy, that is true, your word that liberates us, your word that illuminates us, your word that transforms us. Lord, in these next few moments, as we look into your word together, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. I pray, Lord God, that you would remove distractions from our minds, remove distractions from our hearts for us in this room and those who are online as well. Lord, I pray that we would be captivated by the truth of your word and that our hearts would be compelled to serve you more faithfully. And above all, Lord, I pray this morning as we speak on the foundation of our living hope, that living hope would rise in us as we look deeper into your resurrection. We thank you for this. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I don't know if we have any outlines. Do we have any outlines left? Yes, okay. If, we have, if you need an outline, you can raise your hand, and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. We want to be sure that you're able to follow along in the introduction of the sermon, that you're able to take some notes. That's very important to us, that you don't just hear the message here, but that you take some notes, take it home with you, and then hopefully you share this with somebody else. Hopefully you grow in this. And so we're continuing in our uh, looking at the resurrection of Jesus. Last week we started. The, 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 the message in, in the beginning of, of, of 1 Corinthians 15 where the apostle Paul begins to communicate about the resurrection. And today and next week we're going to continue to build upon the importance of the resurrection and why the, the resurrection matters. And so as you saw, if you have your outline there, you can follow along here. As we saw in the apostle Paul's introduction to the issue of the resurrection, and remember he is answering questions. We saw that in verse 12 today. We'll look at it. But he's answering questions that the church of Corinth has or questions that need to be answered. And so as he's answering those questions, he comes to this one on the resurrection. And so he talked about the resurrection. The foundation of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus. If this stubborn fact is disproven, we talked about this, then our faith is empty. It's useless. It's of no consequence as it is just a fairy tale. So if the resurrection isn't true, then really, like I said, we got up early, we got here, and we're here for no reason. Yet we know Jesus is alive. And this being the case, we have hope in everything that the scriptures promise. Amen? See, the, the thing is this, is that when we look at the scriptures, right, the scriptures give us hope. They give us the definition. They give us the reason. They give us the kind of hope that we have. But you'll notice here, there's an issue whenever we talk about hope. And the issue is the way that we view hope, right? Uh, we, we have to realize that hope is something that is future, right? We, we, don't, we don't hope for, like, you know, something that we already have, right? We, we're hoping for something that is future, and, I, and what the Apostle Paul is trying to do is he's conveying to the, to the people here in Corinth about the hope that they have in Christ. That if there is no resurrection of the dead, then they don't have any hope at all. That's what he says. I mean, I mean he's, he's pointing out to them that they're hopeless. But the reason why I say we have an issue when we think about hope is because we're not in the context of which these words were written. And so we think about hope about things that we want today, the things that we want now. I want you to know the people at Corinth, they were thinking about the future. 
They were, they, they, they were thinking about the resurrection. They, they weren't just hoping for, for things in this world. Now they were hoping for something in the future. And Paul is trying to convey and communicate to them. I'll, I'll say this later on again. I'll repeat this to remind you. But the problem with us is that we live as Christians. Now catch me. We live as Christians as though all that we have is here in this world. So when we talk about hope, right, where we, we don't think, it's, it's, here, here's the problem. It's kind of like a 20-year-old who gets their first job, right? And when, when they get their first job, they're going through orientation. And in orientation, in your job, what do they talk to you about? They talk about all of your benefits. And they talk about one particular benefit that is called retirement. Hello. Some of, you, some of you are looking so forward to that moment, right, where, where you can say, okay, that's my last time that I'm, I'm checking in to this job doing this thing, right? All good. But here's the thing. When you were 20 years old and they sat down with you in that orientation, unless you had somebody who was wiser and older than you who you actually listened to, when they sat there and they talked to you about all the benefits, you were paying attention maybe a little bit. But when they got to the point of retirement, you, that, that just glazed you like, I'm, I'm going to give them money for what? I, I need this money now. Come on. I'm going to put money away for the future. I'm nowhere near retirement. Then you get to like 40. Hello. And you realize the magic of compounding interest and you're like, dog on it. Why didn't I do this when I was 20? And then you start trying to catch up when you're 40. So if you're younger, y'all better get on that now. But anyway, the thing is this. <laughs> when, we, when we think about hope, hope is a future thing. Hope is something that we're looking forward to, right? It, it's something that, and, and, but, but we want everything right here and now. And so we live our lives as though this is everything. My friends, this is nothing. Oh. In comparison, let me finish the sentence, right? In comparison to the entirety of your existence, this is like a blip on the scale. You know, it, it's, it's just something that just popped in. It's here. You know, your life is like a, a, a mist is the way the Apostle Paul. It's like fading grass. It's here. It's green. It's wonderful. And then the sun comes, blazes. It burns it up. It's gone. But we live our lives as though this is all we have. I think we, have, we, need, a, we need a mindset, a, a mind shift change. We, we, we need to change the way that we think, right? I want you to think about this this morning. When we live our lives in faith in the resurrection, we need the hope the resurrection offers. When we live our lives in the faith in the resurrection, we need the hope the resurrection offers. See, the resurrection doesn't offer us hope that everything in this life is going to get better. I know you want to hear that. And I really, because I love you, I want to say that. I, I, I want to tell you that if you just, as we sang, if you just lay it all down, that everything is going to be perfect after you lay it all down. I, I'm going to be honest with you. You might lay it all down and it may get worse. But here's what I can promise you is that there is one that is going to walk with you no matter how difficult it gets. 
There is one who's going to hold you no matter how tough and how, how heavy the storms come. There is one who is going to bring you into eternity shining like gold if you will lay it all down. Now, I cannot promise you that he's going to fix this situation. He's going to take care of that, and he's going to do this, but I can assure. See, that's the problem with hope is that we want this situation, that situation. We want to give Jesus our heart as long as he's going to fix all this stuff. But what if he doesn't? Will you still worship him? I'm behind, and let me confess, I'm behind on our Bible reading challenge. I'm still in the book of Job, y'all. Come on now. <laughs> y'all like, man, Bishop, you're way behind. Yes, I'm way behind, but I'm coming. I'm coming for y'all. Don't worry about it. We I'm going to catch up. I got two years. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. It's, well, praise the Lord. We're together. Read Job. <laughs> it was looking ugly, wasn't it? Wasn't everything being perfect? But he, had, you know, he, 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 the Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. I will yet praise Him, though He slay me. I will yet praise Him. He was, he, he laid it all down. He, uh, so again, when we think about hope. When we're, when we're living our lives as though Jesus really rose from the dead, then we need, to, we, we need the hope that the resurrection offers us. Because in this life, we're guaranteed trial. As a matter of fact, when you decide you're going to live godly and you're going to live for Jesus because he is risen, because you will meet him one day, guess what? You're going to have hardship. You're going to have trial. See, in this world, we want everybody to like us. We want everybody to affirm us. We want everybody to think that we're great. And so we don't want to offend anyone. Guess what? To live for Jesus, especially in this day and age, oh, you're going to offend some folks. And you don't do it because I just want to be offensive. No, you do it because you're living for the one who is risen. First thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say living hope requires a substantive faith. Living hope requires a substantive faith. We need to have a faith that is robust. We need to have a faith that is strong. So one thing that I didn't point out last week, and I had read it before. I didn't read it this last week in particular. But I, I, after last week, you know, I, I get all of these, these pop-ups on YouTube of, of resurrection debates and conversations. And as I'm listening to that, I'm reminded of some of the things. And one, one of the things that we talked about last week is we talked about the, 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 the age of the Gospels as far as when they were dated, when they were written in comparison to the book of 1 Corinthians. But but one thing that I didn't point out, which I think is even more mind-blowing, that, that one, uh, I, I, his, 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 I think his name is Jonathan Bass. He's written a book on the, on, on the foundational truths of the resurrection. But he was pointing something out in a, in, in a conversation that he was having. And he said this. He said that most scholars believe, most, and, and this is not just biblical scholars. These are people that look historically at things and, and, and whether they believe in the resurrection or not. But as they're looking at historical documentation, listen to this now, they, they believe that verses 3, Three through seven comprised what would have been what, what the first creed of the church. Remember, I told you last week. I said, "Listen, I'm about to give you the gospel." 
If you memorize these words, you're going to be good, right? Like that, like that was it, and we, and we talked about that. So here, so just, just go back with me really quickly. Look at verse 3. Paul says this. He says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. And then here's where the creed would have started, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over five. 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remains to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then all of the apostles. Now, you, you, you think about that. When we, I don't know how you think about creeds, depending on your tradition, but those creeds are there in order to do what? In order to reinforce truth. It is not to replace the scriptures. It is to help you remember what the scriptures teach. And so what they were saying is that these things, we want to remember, church, that that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he rose again, that he he was bedrock. We want to remember these things because these things are bedrock. These things are foundational to our faith. Now, why is that so mind-blowing? Here's why it is. Because they they, they believe that that happened, think about this, that happened within a couple of years of Jesus' resurrection. In other words, these words weren't like words that were 50 years, 100 years, 1,000 years later. No, these are words that within a couple of years of Jesus rising from the dead and the church being established, they already had this creed in place, meaning that their faith was already being built there. Now, to me, that's mind-blowing. They, they already had this down. When the Apostle Paul is communicating this again, we believe that, that probably 1 Corinthians was written before the, the other Gospels were written, at, at, at least based upon the, the studies that we have. And so this is pretty important stuff. The creeds were there in order to build faith. Now, why does, why does this matter, right? Well, first of all, it should be like, wow, that's pretty awesome. They already had this in place. But here's the other reason why this is important. Think about this. That creed was there with before 10 years of the church starting after the resurrection of Jesus, and they already have heresy trying to creep in. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that today, almost 2,000 years later, we got heresy trying to creep in? You think, you think our culture is trying to influence the church and trying to rewrite stuff and trying to confuse people with things? And look, we go down the I don't have time to go down the list right now. We'll do that on another Sunday. We'll go down the list of all of the false doctrines. This, this thing called progressive Christianity, the, the denial of Scripture, the, 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 the taking of certain texts and saying, well, we like this one because this one is about the love, the loving Jesus and, and the caring Jesus. But, oh, we don't like this one over here because this one is it's judgment. Yeah, it is. Hello. And it's all in the same book that was inspired. Amen. And, and we can't just pick and choose. Well, I love the love stuff, but I, I don't want the judgment stuff. It's all together. For a reason, because he loves you enough to judge you. Hello. He he loves us enough to show us what it is that he expects and requires. Why? Just because he wants us to do what he wants? No, because he loves us and he wants the best for us. And when we follow what he says and we obey what he commands, we will get the best that he has for us. And And even if we don't, guess what? We get him in the end. That's our hope. And so living hope requires a substantive faith. Now, it's important for us, right? I want us to just look at verse 12 through 19 really quickly because it's important for us to note, to note the domino effect. If the resurrection of Jesus, if, if resurrection, now, now, now just track with me. If resurrection, this is the argument. The argument isn't primarily in this moment, did Jesus rise? The argument is, 
do dead people rise? It's a different argument. It's, it's not just trying to prove that Jesus rose. It's, 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 it's denying the fact that dead people rise. Guess what? In one of the debates that I was watching, I, that, that was the argument. The argument was, from a historical perspective, there aren't these anomalies of dead people rising. Therefore, Jesus could not have risen. That's the present-day argument, right? That's not, that, that's not then. In those days, the Greeks, they didn't believe, right? They, 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 they were like, no, we, we don't believe in that. The, the, the resurrection was, was, was a spiritual thing. Because the body's good for nothing, right? So, so, so again, this is what they're arguing. So, so again, track with me. If people don't rise from the dead, which is what, what, what the Apostle Paul is arguing against, then here's the domino effect of what happens. Look at verse 12. He says, now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Again, it's not that Jesus didn't rise. There's no, there, there, there's no possibility that Jesus could have risen Because dead people don't rise. He says in verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Now, just just pause for a moment because if you've read the Gospels, you know that there's a couple of resurrections that happen in the Gospels, right? If you go back into the Old Covenant as well, there's some resurrection examples there of people who were dead that God raised to life, right? So, so we already have that established in the pages of Scripture. We, we know that historically that the, these, the, these people are just denying history. That, that's what it is. But, but, here, but, but, but nonetheless, if, if, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Here we go. Verse 14. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. Oh, okay. Hold on a second. This gets real. See, because it's cute when we talk about doctrine and, and oh, we're going to deny that and we're going to deny that scripture. We're going to say this doesn't really matter. We're going to say that that's not true until you see how it affects the whole thing. That's why you don't throw away some of it. That's why you got to keep it all, even when you don't like it. <laughs> even, even when you don't want to obey it. Even when you don't want to do what it says, right? You have to take what it says. Okay, so he says, if he's not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes. And we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. If, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. One of the bedrock truths that we hold so dear is that Jesus died for our sins. And that when we recognize that we are sinners, when we recognize that we by our own desires and by our own uh, sinful nature, we are God's enemies, when we realize that and then we realize that God sent his son to die for his enemies and we say, Lord, I don't want to be your enemy any longer. I realize that I am hopeless without you. I am helpless apart from you. I want salvation. I want to be saved. You know what the beauty, the bedrock of Christianity is? That because Jesus rose, we can rise. In forgiveness, we can, we can pick our heads up again. We're no longer enemies. We're no longer outcasts. We're no longer separate. But now we are sons and we are daughters because of what? Because of the work of Jesus on the cross and because he rose again. 
But if, but, but if dead people don't rise, you're still in your sins. Your faith is futile. It, it's empty. It's useless. It's, ju it's just a bunch of fairy tale stories that have no power, no real ability. Verse 18, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they've perished. They're just dead. All the hope we have that we're going to meet those, those people who have died before us in Christ, that we're going to see them again, that's gone. That's hogwash. That's not true. They're just dead. They're gone. Verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. We are the laughingstock of the world is what Paul is saying. See, he uses such strong language. You know why? Because he's 100% sure that Jesus rose. But what he's doing in his argument is he is painting the bleakest picture that he can. That if Jesus didn't rise, if dead people don't rise, then Jesus didn't rise. And if Jesus didn't rise, your faith doesn't matter. Our preaching doesn't matter. Has no power, no ability. And you are still in your sins and you have no hope. But the beauty that we have, the beauty that we have as followers of Jesus is what? Is that we know that Jesus rose. See, here's, here's the thing I, I want to point out to you. Because I said to you how, how Greek, you know, some of the Greek philosophers in that time and some of our atheistic philosophers of this time, as they look at, at, at history, they say, well, you know, there's, there's certain laws that are in place. And, and whenever those laws are broken and, and it's not something that we can look at and say, hey, this has happened here, this has happened here, then we can't, we can't you know, say that it is good. We can't affirm it. Bart Ehrman is one of the ones that was in the debate. And he is a guy that agrees with all of this stuff. And he says, yeah, they really believe this. He just doesn't know. He, he just everything he, he believes, everything that is written is pretty much true to some extent, but I don't know how it happened. I know how it happened. Jesus rose. Somebody rose from the dead. But here's what I want you to think about as you think about miracles. See, the creator, our creator God, he established what I like to call creation laws. He created natural laws. When he created, he created certain laws like gravity, things like that, that are in place. And in general, in general, he operates within the confines of those laws. However, however, there are times that God operates outside of those laws to make a point. There are times when God takes, the, takes a, 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 a sea and splits it. There are times when the sun stops still in the sky for a much longer period than it's supposed to. There, there, there are moments that God takes a teenage boy and uses him, a sling, and a stone to slay a nine-foot warrior who had been trained from as from, from his early as possible to be a devastator. And God will take something that makes absolutely no sense... To say, hey, I'm God. Look to me. The resurrection is one of those. It's one of those moments where God steps in and says, hold on, pause. I'm going to show you all something. Let me, let me show you who I am. Let me show you that I am the creator, that I am God. You are not. Let me, let me do things that, are be, that, that, that you cannot fathom, you cannot put your head around, but, but these things are real, substantiated things. I'm going to do these things so there's no question of who I am. Why does he do that? He does that in his mercy. 
He does that in his grace because he wants to show us who he is. Second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, because Jesus is risen, we have living hope. Because Jesus is risen, we have living hope. Verse 20, the apostle Paul writes, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Paul, the apostle Paul, he makes the positive statement, Christ is risen from the dead. Then he offers some implications that come out of that, namely that, that uh, namely the resurrection of Jesus has an effect. Now think about this, that what, what he's saying here uh, and the rest of this is that the, the, the resurrection of Jesus has an effect on more people, on more things than just, himself, than just himself. This is a theme that is seen throughout the New Testament. Here's what I'm trying to say. Jesus didn't just rise again for his own pleasure, but he's doing what? He is offering us hope as, as humanity. He's, I, I like uh, uh, Pastor Rod, he sent me a text yesterday quoting Paul Tillich, and he said this, 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 this is what uh, Paul Tillich said. He said, the resurrection of Christ is the realization on the part of his disciples that the new life of which Christ was the bearer did not die with him. Are you hearing that? Let me, let me read it again because I know you, you, only Pastor Aldo got it, so Okay. The resurrection of Christ is the realization on the part of his disciples that the new life of which Christ was the bearer did not die with him. Pastor Rod's critique of this, and so I'll add it here, is that it's not just that new life is in him, but he actually rose bodily. When Jesus rose from the dead. See, all of this, this sounds good, but if Jesus doesn't actually rise... There's no power. It's just a thought. But, 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 but the apostle Paul is making the point that Jesus actually rose from the dead. So let's look at this. I mean, I, we, we need to see how it is that the apostle Paul is saying. So he says what? He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. So we have two things. How is it that you and I can have this living hope? Here it is. This is what the Apostle Paul says. When we look at the resurrection of Jesus, the first thing that we see is this picture of first fruits. What is first fruits? It's an Old Testament thing where a person, when you had the first fruits of your, of your harvest came in, you had to offer that first fruit offering. And the reason why you did that is because you were saying thank you to God. And as you were saying thank you to God, there was a, there was a guarantee that the rest of the harvest would come in full. And so what Paul is, he's painting this picture. Again, we're not there. We, you know, we, we're, we're not in this context. We may not know our scriptures like that. But when he's saying this, he's saying, wait a second. Jesus is the first fruit of all of those who have fallen asleep. So everybody, in other words, all the people who have died in Christ before you, guess what? There's going to be a family reunion. Hello. There's going to be a day that you are going to go up there and you're going to meet people you didn't even know were your family. Hello. You're, you're going to meet Ancestry.com. Ain't got nothing on the, on, the, on the resurrection reunion that's coming. Come on now. <laughs> there, there's going to be a day that we are going to be reunited with family around the throne of God. We're going to worship him together. We look forward to that. That's the hope that we have. Because what? Because Jesus is the first fruits. He's the first one who did it. And then this next thing comes in. Adam. Adam comes on the scene. And what does Adam do? Adam messed it all up for all of us. Hello. But, you know, I thank Adam a little bit because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't even have a job. Hello. You realize that, right? Preachers would not be needed, right, in that, in that sense. Like, anyway, anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that another day. 
But, but Adam comes on the scene, and the Apostle Paul says, For since by man, verse 21, came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each one in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, afterward, those who are Christ at his coming, then comes the end. We'll pause there for a moment. And so the first thing is the first fruits idea, the analogy that he gives there. The second way that we can have living hope is because we realize that the first Adam gave us a death sentence. The second Adam gives us a life sentence. The first Adam dies. He, he brings death into this world. He sins. He rebels against God. He fails the testing that was there. The second Adam, the last Adam, Jesus comes on the scene, is tempted in every way, and then does what? Does not sin. Dies as the perfect lamb in our place, dies our, our, the death that we deserve, lays his life down for us, and now, because of Jesus, we can have life. Then comes the end, verse 24. When he delivers the kingdom of God, God to the Father, or when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all, all enemies under his feet. This is pointing to this battle that is taking place, a spiritual battle that's going on, this final battle that we see in the book of Revelation. And after all of that takes place, what the Apostle Paul is writing here, what will happen in the end is that finally all rule, all authority will do what? All will come under one headship, one kingdom, and it'll be glorious. See, that's our hope. That's the hope that we have. I don't, know if you, I, I don't know if you have hope like that. I know I have hope like that. I look forward to the day when the kingdom is perfectly unified. I look forward to the day that there's no more sorrow. We, we, we talk about this every week when we do communion. That is our living hope that is inside of us. Why do we have that hope? Because of the resurrection of Jesus. See, these things matter, again, kind of like the retirement conversation. These things matter more when you feel like, hey, I'm closer to that day. You know what the Bible says? No one is promised tomorrow. So my friends, not to strike fear in your heart, but think about this. You could be closer to meeting him than you realize. Because you don't know, I don't know. As, as Minister Hector was sharing about that tragic story of, of, the, of the man who was driving and got crushed and, and died. Do, do you think anyone knew? Obviously not. Nobody knew, nobody, no, no, nobody knows the hour that we will breathe our last. And again, that should, if you're a Christian, you're like, well, that will be tragic if something like that happens, but I get to be with the Lord. See, if you're not, a, but, but see, that, that's our hearts, right? Our hearts are so stuck in this world. Where is our joy? Where is our hope? Where is our looking forward Oh, but we have all these things on our bucket list. Who cares about your bucket list? I have all these things I want to do. Who cares? You get to be in the presence of God for the, for the rest of your days. We love this world too much. That's the problem. The third thing and last thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, living hope motivates us to make Christ known in all things. Living hope. No, 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 you're good. Thank you. That's, that was good, though. I appreciate you being with me. She, she's in it. She's in it. She's there. Living hope. It makes you live different. 
Living hope makes you live differently. Verse 29. Otherwise, think, I, w- I want you to think about these things the Apostle Paul is saying here. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? Now, that sounds, that sounds crazy, right? Apostle Paul is talking about things that they're doing. And why, and, and, and why, do, why do we stand in jeopardy every, every hour? He's talking about them as, as they are. Because, again, Christianity then costs something in a big way. I affirm by, the, by boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If, in the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits or good morals, depending on the translation you have. Don't get caught up on that last word. Get caught up on the first part. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. They were in jeopardy of being deceived. They were in jeopardy of deception. If we are not vigilant, if we are not watchful, if we do not pay attention, we are in jeopardy of being deceived. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. The Apostle Paul, now he's turning to what? He's turning to the natural outflow of the living hope of the resurrection. Again, when you have the living hope, when you are living in hope of the resurrection, you're living in hope of the day. See, here's the thing, friends. We are going to all meet the Lord one way or the other. Some of us will meet him in a great white throne judgment, which is a judgment when he is casting people into hell. We don't want that one. But, 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 but those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, guess what? We're going to meet him on another, on, on another type of judgment. All of us are going to be judged for our lives. We're going to be judged for our works. If we are followers of Jesus, we're not going to be judged for our sin. Thank God for that. Because he already took the judgment for our sin on the cross. So you want to talk about God being a judge. He's a just judge. He does everything he can to make sure that we don't experience him in a negative way in judgment. He wants us to meet him to be judged for our works that he empowers us and, and, and does through us. There's a video I'm going to post in Realm. And so if you don't have Realm, you need to get on there. But I'm going to post this video probably tomorrow sometime this week. And uh, brother, brother Sal, he actually shared it with me. He was like, man, it's long, but it's worth watching. He was 100% correct. I was actually watching it while I was working out. And there was a point in the thing that I'm, I'm literally like crying in the gym. I'm like, well, this looks real masculine. Hello. <laughs> Keep doing these pull-ups. It's killing me, right? I'm not, I don't even know. It's terrible. Terrible. <laughs> I'm over here trying. Oh, my goodness. Like, Sal, I hate you right now. But anyway. <laughs> Send me this stuff. But it was, a, it was, it was a, a beautiful reminder of what the resurrection to the Bema Seat throne judgment is going to be like, which is the one that we get to go through as followers of Jesus. But here's the thing. We're all going to meet him. And so the apostle Paul is saying, hey, there's some things. This is the practical stuff right here, guys. This is, this is how, what, what, what is supposed to happen. So we look at this. So the question is, what is living, what, what is living hope lived out look like? What does it look like when we really have living hope? Well, the first thing is, you see verse 29, that crazy thing where it talks about uh, being baptized for dead people? 
So as, as you read, and you can go study this, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy the rabbit hole, dive, whatever um, you're going to go through to try to figure out what this is. I, I, I gave up. But anyway, here's the thing. No, no, nobody's 100% sure on what exactly this practice was, and so I, we're just going to take it at face value. Apparently, people in that time, they were concerned about people who had come to faith in Christ, we think, and had not been baptized yet. And so somebody said, well, I, we, we got to be baptized for them. Maybe. That, that could be it. Again, it's, I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to give you what I think, right? We know this. People were being baptized for dead people. That's what we know for sure. Is Paul affirming this? He's not affirming this in any way, shape, or form. He's not saying, he's, he's not rebuking it either. All he's doing is he's trying to make a point. You guys are saying there's no resurrection of the dead. Why are y'all being baptized for them then? If there is no resurrection, why are you being baptized? Why, why do you even care? You know why? Because we care about lost people when we've experienced the resurrection power of Jesus. So the first thing, if you're taking notes, you're going to write this down. One of the practical out, outworkings, one of the, the things that overflow from a life that is living in resurrection hope, the, the thing that is there is that we care about the salvation of others. Do you care about the salvation of other people? I'm not telling you you got to be baptized for other people. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is are you sharing your faith with other people? Are you, are you letting other people know that you are a follower of Jesus, you're, you, you have hope to offer them? Do you care about them? The second thing that we see here, verses 30, 30 to 32, the apostle Paul talks about him standing in jeopardy and him dying to himself. He's, he, well, what he's saying is when we are living in resurrection hope, guess what? We are willing to suffer for the gospel. Are you willing to suffer for the gospel? Are you willing to be ridiculed for the gospel? Are you willing to be unfriended, unfollowed, blocked for the gospel? Are you willing to be uninvited to those family gatherings because you love Jesus a little bit too much for what they're about to get down with? Right? I mean, are you, are you willing to be the outcast? Are you, are, are you willing to be that guy or that woman for the gospel? Are you too busy trying to be affirmed by people? Are you too busy trying to get, trying to get promoted so, so you, you don't want to ruffle any feathers, even though, you know, these people, they just, ooh. You come home and talk about them instead of talk to them. See, let, 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 me, let, let me say this. Everything I just said in comparison to losing your life is nothing. Are you here? Because we have other Christian brothers and sisters that are in places that aren't Christian friendly. Hello. Oh, oh I know we're not super Christian friendly in this nation, but we're, we're, we're kind of friendly still. There are other places, no, you're going to jail for this. There are other places where, where you, 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 you are persecuted to death in prison. You, you, you ready to go to prison for Jesus? Because that's what, that's what happens when we're living resurrection hope. I'm willing to lay it all down. I know that's not fun stuff. But it's rewarding. It's what it means to follow Christ. And lastly, the third thing, if you're taking notes, is we refuse. You see verse 33 to the verse 34. We refuse to be corrupted by the values of this world. Be not deceived. Bad company corrupts good habits. Don't think that you're just going to hang out with all of them folks and they're not going to rub off on you. 
Don't, don't think you're going to be listening to all. Listen, it's okay. I, I, I believe it's important, right? I told you about the debates I listened to, and, and I'm hearing two guys that are going at it. One of them is a Christian. The other one is not. I want to know what the argument of the other side is. I haven't gone as far as reading books from the other side because I just, I'm lazy like that. I'm like, I, I'll just listen to the debate. They say it all there anyway. But nonetheless... But if, I'm, but if I'm only listening to the ones who are, who are speaking negatively about my faith, if I'm only speaking to the ones who are denying the truths that I believe, if those are the only people that are in my ear, trust me, their words are getting to my heart. Their words are affecting the way that I think. Their words are affecting the way that I live. They're affecting the, the, the way that I value morals. They're changing my value system. See, when I'm living in a resurrection hope, when I'm living with hope in the resurrection that is to come, guess what? I'm not going to be corrupted by that. I'm going to stand firm upon the truth. I'm, I'm going to silence those conversations and say, no, that's false. That's not true. That's a lie. That's what we do when we do that. Bottom line is this. Living hope lived out makes our lives look different because the foundation we stand upon is firm. I'm not worried about losing friends. I'm not worried about losing followers. I'm not worried about not getting the likes. I'm not worried about any of that because, man, I have hope that is eternal. My hope is not in this world. My hope is not in this life. My hope is in the one that rose again. My hope is in the first fruits. Hello. That's what my hope is. The life we're building, here's the thing. It looks different because the life we're building has a different end in mind. See, the life I'm building is not looking at retirement. It's not. The life I'm building is looking to a beam of seat throne, judge, throne judgment when I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account for everything I did or didn't do with the, with the years he gave me on this earth. And listen, I know that we want something practical for today. I gave it to you. Live for his glory. Don't sin anymore. That's what Paul says in the last verse. Don't sin any longer. Don't Listen, even in that, in that time, they, people didn't know about God. Because they, there was too much compromise going on. Don't sin any longer. Live with an eternal perspective. Live, think, man, I, I don't want to be corrupted by this world. I want to live for the glory of God. I want to live for his honor. I want to live for his purpose. I, I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. The only reason why this is is because we serve a risen Savior. That's the only reason why this is. And so here's my closing question for you. Does your life, now think about this, not your neighbor, not someone who's not here, not someone who's online, you. Does your life reflect a real hope in our future resurrection? Let me, let, let me frame the question for you differently. How does, your, how, does your, how does the life you're living today fit into an eternal judgment scenario? Now, just think about it for a moment. You breathe your last. You're in God's presence. The tape of your life starts playing before you. <laughs> Fast forward. I like that. <laughs> forget, forget your sin for a moment because I just said you're not seeing, you're not seeing those parts. They're going to fast forward through that. I like that. But, but, but everything you're doing. Everything you're investing your time in, everything you're investing your, your money in, 
Every, all, of the, all of those things are being played before you. Are those things going to say, man, I'm living for the resurrection. I'm living for the day that I'm going to meet my Savior. I'm living for that day. I'm living for that purpose. Or are all of those things going to be poof? Forget fast forward. They're consumed with fire. That didn't have eternal value. That wasn't eternal purpose. That wasn't an eternal focus. See, here's the thing. Everything that we do, from parenting to work to marriage to the way we're neighbors, everything we do should have an eternal focus on it. My friends, this time is short in comparison to all of eternity. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you in this moment. We humble ourselves before you, Lord. Lord, look at our hearts. Lord, you know if we are eternally focused or if we're eternally ambivalent, Lord God. You know how we live better than we do. And so, Lord, my prayer today is that our hearts would be surrendered to you truly, that our hearts would be given to you fully, God. My prayer, Lord God, is that if we are in here and we are honest before you and we see that we are not living for your glory, God. We're not living for that resurrection. We're not living for the future. Lord, may we, may we see. And may we turn from our carnal ways of thinking and living. Father, I pray for those in this room that they know, Lord God, that you spoke to them that if, that if their life was playing before them, Lord, their works were playing before them, Lord, that, that they would, and they, and they know, Lord, that there, there's things that just wouldn't, that wouldn't align with an eternal focus, Lord God. Grant them a repentant heart this morning. Let them know that they can run to you because you died so they could run to you. You shed blood so they could run to you, Lord God, that, that, they, wouldn't, that they wouldn't leave here without hope, but that they would live, leave here with real living hope that you offer because you rose. I pray, Lord God, that you would fill every heart in this place with an awe of you and with a desire to live with eternal values in their hearts and their minds.
I pray that you would transform families, Lord God. I pray that you would transform work scenarios. I pray that you would transform our lives as individuals, that you would transform us, Lord God, in, in our parenting, Lord, that we would do these things with an eternal focus, Lord. That you would remove the distraction, that you would remove the strongholds that this world system, that the values of this world has on us, my God. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would empower us. And I pray for my brothers and my sisters that they are living for eternal purpose, Lord God. I thank you for them, Lord. May they not lose their resolve. May they continue steadfast, Lord God. May they continue working and laboring for your kingdom and for your glory. May they continue serving you. I pray for those, Lord God, that in the beginning of this service, they heard the words, lay it all down. And they've heard those same words throughout this sermon. They've heard those same words throughout this time of prayer. Lord, may they lay it down today. May they lay their lives down and may they pick up their cross. May they humble themselves before you. May they live from this day forward for your glory and for your glory alone. No more excuses. We thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. And we pray this all in Jesus' strong name. And everyone said, amen. Can you give the Lord a hand of praise? He's worthy. Of all praise and glory, hallelujah.